0: Hello and welcome to our midweek time of prayer and devotion at Cross Lanes Baptist Church. Uh, I am Pastor Seth and I'm glad that uh, you're tuning in, uh, whether you're doing so live or checking on things a little bit later. Uh, We're glad that you're here with us and I want to just say a quick word about a couple of changes that we have upcoming and then we'll get into our Bible study for the evening. Uh, We sent out communication this week uh, related to further adjustments uh, with everything that's going on, and we're making a couple of slight adjustments. One being that we're not going to have uh, the evening service on Sundays at 6. We simply don't need it right now, and we have plenty of space in the morning services, and uh, if you'll make a note of that. And then the other significant change is that we are delaying our return to groups. Uh, We're looking toward an August date, thinking about uh, what are things gonna look like when perhaps schools reopen and everything goes along with that. And we just wanna proceed with an abundance of caution and that's the reason for uh, the latest adjustments. And we wanna be clear about that as we move forward. So please take note and uh, stay engaged with the information as it comes out. And all this is online and has been sent out in an email. If uh, you haven't seen it yet, please check that out. And uh, you should have the information that you need. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer, and then I'm going to introduce our Bible study for this evening. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you tonight that our hope is in you, that you're the one who knows all things, that you're sovereign over all of your creation and we take our hope and our confidence in you and we give a thanksgiving Lord to you for all that you are and the good that comes our way because of your grace in our lives. We pray for our church family, we thank you for the faithfulness of people uh, to stay together as best as they possibly can, uh, to continue to be faithful in their support of the work here and in their prayers And we pray, Lord, that you continue to encourage each one of us by the power of your Holy Spirit and that uh, even though things are still um, out of normal, out of order, uh, Lord, you're sovereign and we look to you for our stability and for our confidence. And tonight I pray that this time would be a time of encouragement in your word and we thank you for it. And we pray also for those in our church family that might be dealing with Uh, sicknesses or uh, health concerns family problems financial and job needs Lord you are Lord overall and you meet us at our point of need and you answer our prayers and for that we say thank you and I ask it all in Jesus name amen I introduced our series of messages for the remainder of the summer last week um, series in the Psalms the Psalms the ways of the Lord and we thought about last week the loving kindness of God in Psalm 138. And we noted how the Psalms help us gain an understanding of worship because they give us insight into God, and they also help us understand our own human experience and all the emotions and the ups and downs and the challenges that come along with that. And as we looked at the loving kindness of God, we were reminded from the psalm that it's a part of who God is. It reveals to us both God's character and God's heart for us as his people toward all who belong to him. And because of the loving kindness of the Lord, he always keeps his word, he answers his people, he cares for those who are humble, and he saves. The Lord's mercy endures forever. As we turn tonight to Psalm 139, uh, Psalm 139 ranks up there, I would say, with Psalm 23 as one of the best known and most loved psalms. People are familiar with it because of the words that are contained within. It's the clearest statement, perhaps in the Old Testament, of God's relationship personally with his people individually. The preacher of old, A.W. Tozer, said the heaviest obligation lying upon the Christian church today is to purify and elevate her concept of God until it is once more worthy of him. You'll note in this psalm as we read part of it, and then maybe as you go back and read it on your own later, that personal pronouns and possessives uh, are repeated in this psalm, both in the first person and in the second person. It is a deeply personal, communion-oriented psalm. And what I want to do is look at several of the sections and then bring to a conclusion uh, the psalm with some of the final verses. And I begin reading here in verse 1, and I'll go through verse 6. And the point that I want to get across here is that God knows me. You can say that personally tonight. God knows me. Psalm 139, beginning in verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there's not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord. You know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Now, verse 6 Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. God knows me. You see, God knows who we really are, there's nothing that can be hidden from Him think about it this way. God is fully sustaining the universe that he has made, and yet he is taking the time to meet us personally where we are, and he knows us intimately. He knows when we sit down or when we lie down and when we get up. He knows when we go somewhere. He knows our words He even knows our thoughts. And his loving kindness, his hand is upon us, even though he knows us better than anybody. And as the psalmist says here, that type of knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high and I cannot attain it. Uh, One commentator said, God is as perfectly and entirely employed in the scrutiny of the thoughts and actions of an individual as he is in the regulation of the most important concerns of the universe. One of my favorite devotional writers is Oswald Chambers of old as well. Uh, Many of you probably read My Utmost for His Highest, the devotional that's a classic that has continued on uh, throughout uh, the decades and, and even the centuries. And he said to say that God knows me is different from God is omniscient. In other words, the statement God is omniscient means that God knows all things. But now we're bringing this down from a macro level to a micro level. God knows all things, yes, he's omniscient. But God knows me and all the details of my life. And Chambers said the latter, to say that God is omniscient, is a mere theological statement. But the former, to say that God knows me, is a child of God's most precious possession. Now I think a lot of people want salvation. They want happiness. They certainly want to go to heaven when they die. But people start to get nervous when they think about the idea of God truly knowing us thoroughly from the inside out. And even so, because of our struggle of sin, we can't even fully know ourselves We have mixed motives much of the time in our lives. We have questionable thoughts and intentions, even when we think we mean for good. But God sees down to the deepest level of our lives, and yet as his children, his loving kindness still rests upon us, and we can say, God knows me. There's a second idea here, though, and that is God is with me. He's with me. Look again at verse 7. The psalmist says, Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell or in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, Even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. Let's think back all the way to the original creation just for a moment. When God made Adam and Eve and placed them there in the garden, he gave them everything that they could possibly need. They were to walk with him in communion and in fellowship with him. They were to tend to what God had created. And when they sinned, you remember the first thing that they tried to do? Rather than being in close fellowship with God rather than everything being out in the open with God The very first thing that they tried to do was they tried to hide from God You can't hide from God as they say you can run But you can't hide Where can I go from your spirit? Oh God, where can I flee from your presence? And then the psalmist lays out the boundaries if I go up to heaven, well, God is there. If I descend to Sheol or to the place of the dead, God is there. If I go to the uttermost parts of the sea, God is there. There is no height or depth, spatial, intellectual, social, or moral, that we can escape God's sight or God's Presence, or by which we can escape our solemn accountability to and responsibility toward our Maker. Now, it used to be said that more people had walked on the surface of the moon than had dived uh, to the deepest part of Earth's oceans. That can't be said anymore. There's a report that just came out recently about a man by the name of Kelly Walsh. Kelly Walsh is the son of the great ocean explorer Don Walsh, and he achieved a feat that only a few people have achieved in history. He descended to the depths of the Mariana Trench, which is nearly 11 kilometers down to the very bottom of the Pacific Ocean. His father did it some 60 years before kelly is the 12th person to descend to the trench floor the same number of the apollo moonwalkers and the 12-hour dive took him to the deepest place of the earth it would be possible to fit mount everest inside of the mariana trench and still have two kilometers of water above mount everest and the peak now here's the illustration that I want to draw here. We could go to the depths of the Mariana Trench, trying to get away from God, and yet God would still be there. He is not escapable. The presence of God is inescapable. For those who don't know him, and who've not been forgiven, and who've not experienced mercy, that's quite a frightful thought. But for those of us who know him and call him our father to say that he knows us as well as the fact that he is with us, that should give us great confidence because he has hedged us behind and before. The scripture says that he has laid his hand on us and he cares for us then there's a third idea here beginning in verse 13 and that is god made me god made me god knows me god is with me and god made me pick up reading in verse 13 for you formed my inward parts you covered me in my mother's womb i will praise you for i am fearfully and wonderfully made marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they all were written. The days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. The focus in this meditation by the psalmist Turns in a remarkable and beautiful way to the growth and the development of the psalmist in his mother's womb. St. Augustine said, Men go abroad to wonder at the heights of the mountains and at the huge waves of the sea and at the long courses of the rivers and at the vast compass of the ocean, at the circular motions of the stars, and they pass themselves by without even wondering. You see, I think in this naturalistic age that we live in, in a sense, we have lost the wonder of what it means to be created in the image of God, to rest in the imago day, knowing that God had an intention for us before we were conceived, that he knew us and had our days marked out before us. And to deny that is to deny God. there without excuse when we think about the incredible complexity of the human being and the beauty of God's creation to think about something like that that is so intricately balanced and complex and to think of that as being something that is a result of sheer chance plus time is ridiculous it's outright absurd. If you consider the human body alone, the human body is a miracle. Every second more than a hundred thousand chemical reactions take place in your brain. Your brain has 10 billion nerve cells to record what you see and what you hear. The information comes to your brain through the miracle of the eye, which has a hundred million receptors in each eye. Your retina has layers of nerve cells, and altogether the system makes an equivalent of 10 billion calculations a second before the image even gets to the optic nerve. And once it reaches your brain, the cerebral cortex has more than a dozen separate vision centers in which to process it. That's just one little part of the human body. And yet it all works together in this intricately complex design and what does that reveal to us it reveals to us the imago Dei it reveals to us the power of God in that God skillfully makes each human being and has his hand on life from before conception all the way through eternity now I cannot in good conscience address Psalm 139 in verses 13 through 16 without speaking to the issue of human life in the culture that we live in. Since abortion has been legalized in the United States, there have been 61,628,584 abortions and counting now God is the creator of life if you're a Christian you have to adhere to that basic thought that God has created life and then according to Psalm 139 and other passages as well God knows each life before it is even born Jeremiah 1 in verse 5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. So now, foundation point number one is, God is the creator of all life. Foundation point number two is, God knows all life, not only before it's born, but before it's conceived. I read a piece by John Stott, and here's what he had to say about this particular passage of Scripture. He said the author of Psalm 139 looks back to the antenatal stage of his existence. Three words sum up what he affirms. First, creation. He seems to liken God both to a potter who formed his inmost being and to a weaver who knit him together in his mother's womb and although the bible makes no claim to be a textbook of embryology here's a plain affirmation that the growth of the fetus is neither haphazard nor automatic but is a divine work of created skill the second word is continuity the psalmist surveys his life in four stages past present future and before birth and in all four he refers to himself as i He who is writing as a full-grown man has the same personal identity as the fetus in his mother's womb. He affirms a direct continuity between his antenatal and postnatal being. The third word is communion or relationship. Psalm 139 is arguably the most radical statement in the Old Testament of God's personal relationship to the individual. And then he begins to talk about the personal pronouns. And he said, these three words supply us with an essential biblical perspective on which to think. The fetus is not a growth in the mother's body, which is to be removed uh, at her whim, nor even a potential human being, but is rather biblically a human life who, though not yet mature, has the potential to grow into the fullness of the humanity that he already fully possesses. And Stott wrote that in Christ, the cornerstone, in a collection of essays. God is the creator of life. He knows life and it's fully human before it is even born. And now my thought is, the Bible is clear. Since God is the creator of human life, only he should determine who lives and who dies. As followers of Christ... We have a responsibility to line up with the Word of God. And let me say this as clearly as I possibly can to you, and I wanna, I wanna challenge you if your thinking is off in this area, if your thinking is unbiblical in this area. I see no way that a child of God can in any manner, in good conscience, support any one or anything, person or principle or policy that does not support human life from natural conception to natural conclusion, period. Uh, It is irreconcilable with the Word of God. It is irreconcilable with biblical Christianity. And to say anything else is to simply deny the Word. You can't have it both ways. The closing section of the psalm reminds us of the life setting of the psalm here's David he's surrounded by wickedness and bloodshed and deceit and he knew God to be holy and righteous how could he stand up to such scrutiny he said Lord you know me you're everywhere that I go you read my thoughts you examine my motives and then he says this in verse 23 it's the only response that he could give search me O God and know my heart try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting you see to love god is to hate evil true faith is marked not only by what it believes true faith is marked by what it does true faith is marked not only by what it does But true faith is also marked by what it disbelieves and what it rejects not only are we known for what we are for you hear people say that all the time hey we want to be known for what we're for well by default we are known also for what we're against and we're for what god is for we are for life i mean this is just fundamental stuff this is not hard stuff this is not even this is not even complex It's just life. And if God cares about life, we ought to care about life. And if God supports life, we ought to support life. And I'll say it again, anything else is irreconcilable with biblical Christianity. You cannot justify it. It is impossible. And because God is the maker of life, And he's the one who knows us and sees us and is with us and is over us why run from him run to him why try to flee to the darkness run to the light and plead with god to search you and to know your heart and to try you and to To recognize your anxieties and see if there's anything wicked in you. To see if there's any way of thinking that is unbiblical. To see if there's any way of thinking that does not honor life, that does not honor God. And then say, God, lead me in the way everlasting. This is the path that I will walk in. And friends, we need this more than ever before. Because people are confused and conflicted we have to look to God in his word because he's our hope so here's my prayer for you tonight first of all that you would understand the theological truths that are rock solid in this passage of scripture but also that you would understand the personal relationship that God has invited us all to Christianity is about life with God And when we are in life with God, forgiven, redeemed, set on a path of purpose, headed to heaven, we've got to ask ourselves the question, how can we honor God with our lives? And how can we walk with him in such a way that other people see the beauty of a relationship with their maker, their redeemer, and their sustainer? Let's bow our heads together for a moment as we pray. Father, thank you for inviting us into a very close relationship that you had with the psalmist, which gives us insight into what our relationship with you can look like and should look like. God, I pray that these truths would not be merely theological, I pray they'd be personal. And God, you you know us to our core. You know every motivation. You know every thought. You know every intention. And yet, you, the one who knows us the best, loves us the most more than anybody else ever could. And for that, I say thank you. Thank you, God, that we can't run and hide from you. There are times that we want to, like a child that would uh, pull the covers up over their head and try to flee from the darkness, we think somehow we can run from you and God, it is not possible. And for that, we should be grateful. God, you're our maker. This is so basic. This is is the very foundational basis of life. And if we cannot see this and get it right, something is wrong. Life is precious and should be valued. Valued. God, my heart breaks for the more than 62 million lives that have been exterminated. Exterminated, God. God, may we weep at a nation that not only would do such a thing, but would celebrate it, would shout it from the rooftops, would exalt it. God, help us that such a murderous attitude would prevail. And God, help us to see beyond the the blindness of so much of this foolishness that goes on with it. And help us to protect and value life from natural conception to natural conclusion because you value it. And help us to be unashamed in our convictions and in in our stand for life. May the church not waver, but be faithful. And through it all, God, we're asking you to search us and to know us. If there's any wicked way in us that needs to be repented of, needs to be dealt with, that we'd confess it as sin so that our relationship with you would not be hindered or hurt. So, Lord, I pray for your blessings on the remainder of this week, and we look forward to gathering together to worship on Sunday. Uh, And I pray for continued progress as we move through these strange times. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you, and I look forward to seeing you either online or in person on Sunday.